Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for caring for us that you decided to give us your word the Word of God. And now, Lord, we pray that you would pour out your Spirit to us to make known your words to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 3. We're going to, uh, to give us again the background. Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you? to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth, therefore, fruits on meat for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire." Okay, so we've been here in, in studying in, in Matthew. Ma- you know, Matthew is an unusual book because, well, it's, for one thing, it's the first book in the New Testament, which means that it's at the gate of the New Testament. You come to the New Testament, you read Matthew. That's what happened to me when I started to read the Bible and the New Testament. So Matthew was the book that really convicted me. But this particular chapter opens with these very important words, in those days came John the Baptist. This is how John the Baptist is introduced to us in this chapter. He's the one who came. The word came, really, he's the comer. And John the Baptist, although it doesn't use this word here, he is the forerunner. He's the one who's running before the Lord Jesus. It's a great title, uh, the forerunner for John the Baptist, because it's made up of two words, for and runner. For he came before the Lord Jesus. And we can picture John as he's, as he's going in front of the Lord Jesus and he's looking behind him. He's seeing the Lord Jesus. He's looking in front of him. And yet as he fulfills his mission and as he looks behind him, he's seeing the majesty, the glory, the greatness of the Lord Jesus. And as he sees that, he gets impressed with his own unworthiness as he's looking back. And so what we know he said in John 1.27, John 1.27, he said, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, 
whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. So what he's doing is that he's, is he's looking behind and he's seeing the greatness of the Lord Jesus and he's saying, he's preferred before me. Now, when it says here in verse 5, in Matthew 3, verse 5, it says, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan. You know what that means? That means that John the Baptist was quite a celebrity. He was quite the who's who in Israel at that time. And we can imagine that the people talking about John the Baptist and saying things like, have you been out? Have you seen John the Baptist out there in, in, in the wilderness of Judea? Have you been baptized by John the Baptist? And so as this um, word spreads all around Israel, then Jerusalem flows out to him. Judea, all the regions round about Jordan, they don't only hear, but they, they go out to him and they're baptized, and as they're going, they're confessing their sins. So really, this put John the Baptist as the most important person in Israel. And that meant that, that John the Baptist, because of this, was in a great, he was in a great state of danger. It was dangerous for him to become proud. His heart, like our hearts, was going to lead John astray and was going to say, just look. Look, John, at all, how all Israel is just streaming out to you in the wilderness to, to hear your message, to, to be baptized. This is a real temptation for John if he was going to listen to his heart. I mean, John was very much in danger of what it says about temptation in general in James 1.14. In James 1.14, it says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust." and enticed. So if John the Baptist had listened to his own heart, telling him how great he was and and what a persuasive preacher he was and so forth, he would have been drawn away. And that term, drawn away, is very real for us because we are faced all the time with the temptations, the enticements that draw away. It's what Moses warned Israel about in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, God said, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. And then verse 17 says, But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you. So very important words, drawn away, turn away from James 1, from Deuteronomy 30. It's very graphic, the enticement, being drawn away, the turning away. And this describes the temptations that we face in life. And so that's why the Lord said, I have set before you, like the Lord is saying, I have given you the choice. This is going to be your decision it's not a case where God has pre-decided, pre-elected, predetermined, you are going to make this choice. It's not a case where God has, has determined everything that's going to happen. No, not at all. He says, I have set before you. It wasn't a game. It was a, it was a, it was a very real decision point that God has put in front of Israel, that God puts in front of us. He gives us the power. He gave them the power. He says, if you turn to me, if you ask me, I will help you to make the right decision. But in the end, it's our decision. And so life for us is a constant if. 
It's a constant if, where we have to choose between life and death and good and evil. So we, we're walking with the Lord. We're regularly reading our Bible. We're, we're hearing God speak to us through the Bible. We're, we're responding to God. We're changing our ways as he is indicating to us. He's, he's convicting us. And all of a sudden comes the enticement. The enticement comes where sin, it looks so harmless. It looks so harmless. Maybe a little sin, but it, it, it always comes with this question. Why not? Why not? Others do it. Why not you? And if we yield to those enticements, if Israel yield to those enticements, if John the Baptist yield to the enticement of pretty hot stuff, if he yielded to that, then it's a case of being drawn away, of turning away from God. So it's a constant fight. Life is a constant fight to resist the temptation and to say no to the voice of enticements. And so this was the great temptation for John. I mean, uh, John, you know, you see how many are coming out to you. I mean, John's temptation was to listen to his voice and say, well, um, how many came out to you? So, oh, about, uh, I run about all the nation of Israel. If he would have done that, it would have been very, very bad for him. And John would have become unfruitful and useless. Now, I know that, you know, we know the history of John and we're so apt to think, okay, well, John the Baptist, you know, he would never do anything wrong. But He was like us, fighting every temptation all along the way and saying no, no to sin. So when John said no to the temptation of pride, he was fulfilling the reason why God called him to be great. It says says he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. And in Luke 1.15, he says he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. Luke 1.16 says, and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Now, that was his fruit. Many of the children of Israel, he turned to the Lord their God. That's how he was useful for the Lord. So so we see this about John the Baptist. And he therefore said that he wasn't worthy to untie the shoes of the Lord. That was because he was looking back always at the Lord as he was going in front of. And then he described himself. John the Baptist described himself in John 1.23. John 1.23. Kind of confusing that the Apostle John and John the Baptist have the same name, but what can you do? You have to live with that. So anyway, in John 1.23, he said, he responded to those who were challenging him, and he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, he says, I'm the voice. He says, I'm just a voice. If it's just a voice, no one sees a voice. They just hear the voice. That's what's John. He did. And that's how John wanted to be known. He wanted to be known as just a voice that no one saw, just a voice that people heard, because he was fulfilling Isaiah 40, verse 3. Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, the voice of one of him crieth in the wilderness. So as the forerunner, the Lord Jesus Christ is behind John. John's work is in front of him. He's keeping himself from being enticed, from being drawn away, turned away by pride. And as we look at this, it's a great lesson for us, because no matter what kind of work we may be doing, no matter what kind of grand work we're doing, no matter if we wake up in the morning with the grand work, as John did, of preaching to the whole nation of Israel, no no matter what any given day is, John took his time to look at the Lord. He was looking backwards all the time, and he was preparing the people for the coming of the Lord. He was preparing them. Now, the way that anyone prepares to meet God, is is to turn away from what God hates. God hates sin. So it's a a turning away, personal turning away, 
from what God hates. And that was John the Baptist's life work. It was to prepare the people to meet God by causing them to turn away from what God hates, in other words, repentance. So he's very much, John the Baptist, is very much like Nehemiah. I mean, there was Nehemiah called to to return to the land and to build the walls. And you know that that when, when Nehemiah was building the wall around Jerusalem, it wasn't just a physical wall that he was building, he was also building up the faith that had been lost, building up the love for God that had been turned away from in the people. But, he, but it was all symbolized in this building of the wall. And so the messengers of, of the enemy came to, to Nehemiah on the wall and then said, stop the work, come down, meet with us. And Nehemiah responds to that in Nehemiah 6.3, Nehemiah 6.3, where Nehemiah doesn't even go to these, these people who are, who are trying to entice him to stop. He sends messengers when it says in Nehemiah 6.3, Nehemiah 6.3, and I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? So what was the argument that Nehemiah gave to Sanballat, the person who was behind all of this, trying to get him to stop? Why did he come down? from, from the, the argument that he gave was the greatness of the work. He says, I'm doing a great work. And so uh, it's the greatness of the work that kept Nehemiah up on the wall, that kept him working there. Okay, now, when John is now giving his message to Israel in verse 2, his message is, repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying, hurry up, hurry up. He's right behind me. He's closing in so fast that I can just around turn around with my hand and feel him. That's what he means, the, the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the other word that's in the forerunner is the word runner, which shows that John is just not sauntering about and doing this work. He's not just walking, but he's running. And so this explains also why in verse 3, it says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. John was quite something. And, and so he's running and he's saying to the people, he's saying, look, make your way straight. In other words, get ready for the king is coming. But he was also, he was also saying, make his path straight, as it says in Isaiah, which means don't put any obstacles in the way of the Lord. You know that we are an obstacle in the way of the Lord when we harbor sin in, sin in our lives. Sin is an obstacle to the Lord. So he's saying, make that path straight for the Lord. In other words, don't make him have to go around you because of sin. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean, the kingdom of heaven is at hand? It means that the way into the kingdom of heaven, in other words, the door into the kingdom of heaven, the ability to go into the kingdom of heaven, it's real close. It's right here. This is your opportunity. This is why the Lord said to to Israel, if you only knew, but you didn't know. No, if you only knew the time of your visitation, but you lost it all because you didn't know the opportunity was there. Have you ever thought about that when you talk to someone or you talk to a lost person about the Lord, how what an opportunity that is and how tragic it is if that person just 
just blows it off, doesn't even take any time to consider. That's God's visitation. That's God's time of visitation. Remember this acutely, I wasn't here last week, as you know, because uh, of two funerals. And um, it kind of broke my heart. One was of Shinji, my Japanese friend, up in Los Angeles. And Shinji had cancer. And I, 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 I poured out my heart to him on several occasions and uh, even uh, gave him Bible and food and, and typed up one page of um, Bible verses, critical Bible verses that he needed in order to respond to God to go to heaven. And I gave it to him and I said, now, look, Shinji, uh, keep this in the pocket uh, of your hospital gown. Uh, when you go to, if you, because you got out of the hospital, so go, when you go to Japan, keep this with you. And so uh, I was kind of touched because the family invited me to to uh, come after the funeral to a, a gathering at their house, which I was able to talk to his wife and kids. And I said, you know, I typed up this paper for Shinji. They said, oh, yes, it's over there next to his bedstand. He kept it with him all the time. So I hope that he did respond. But it was a time, and, and, and I remember Shinji told me, he says, you know, uh, I, I don't have anybody talking to me the way you do uh, in, in my life except for you. That was an opportunity. That was a time of visitation. I hope he responded to the Lord. And then the other funeral which I went to was Dorothy, and she was a Holocaust survivor. And we, we used to have uh, tremendous fights, actually, because um, we were reading the Bible together in Hebrew, and she just could not resist telling, asking me if I knew what it meant. And even though I told her to know what it meant, she just says, no, it doesn't matter, you don't know. And so she would just explain to me what Rashi said, one of the Jewish commentators that was just totally off the wall, just all made up anyway. And so we had these big fights. But Dorothy and I had many, many conversations almost weekly that we would, for hours, and, and, uh, and I would encourage her to come to the Lord, to call on the name of the Lord Jesus, and she would just say, look, you and I go to different congregations, you know, which is, you know, it's very common among Jewish people to say, you're not a Jew because you're Reformed, you're not a Jew because yeah, this and that and the other. Anyway, but... Uh, uh, she died, and and uh, and at the end of the uh, of the funeral, the end of the funeral, which is uh, which is Jewish funerals are very disturbing because you you take the shovel full of dirt, each person does, and puts it on the grave, which is a little disturbing. But anyway, then we met over at the at the uh, at the synagogue, and, uh, and that was a time when people could get up and could um, could give their their own uh, what they wanted to say about uh, Dorothy. And there was one fellow who, I, 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 he had a white yarmulkean and so forth, and he stood up and he said, my name is Sergio. And he, he explained that he had, was meeting with, with uh, Dorothy to uh, read the Bible together so he could understand more of what the Bible says. The minute a person says that, you know that, okay, he's not Jewish. He wants to know what the Bible says, you know. But, um, but anyway, so uh, I thought, oh, Sergio. I said, he was the other one in Dorothy's life who, who, um, who, who was also encouraging her to go to his Messianic synagogue and, and, and to receive the Lord. And, and so um, afterward, you know, after he spoke, I says, you know, I, I turned to him, I says, Sergio, I'm Tom Cantor. And he says, you're Cantor who? <laughs> he thought I was a Cantor. <laughs> I, said, I said, no, I was born one. But... Um, uh, but, you know, he says, oh, Tom Cantor. He says, oh, yeah, she talked a lot about you. And I said, well, she talked to me a lot about you. And so Sergio told me that, uh, you know, three months before she died, that um, I didn't know this, but three months before she died, 
Sergio was talking to her about the peace that God gives. And she asked him, how do I get that peace? And so he explained to her the gospel very carefully. He said, you know, you have to receive Yeshua. And so he didn't ask her, you know, are you willing to do that or anything like that? He just explained it to her. And a week later, they met together. And Sergio told me that he asked her, he said, did you do that? Did you do that prayer? And she said, yes, I did. So there's a great assurance about that. And then as I was meeting later on with the family, I said, do you know what Dorothy did? And I explained to them, no, it's your turn, you know. (laughs) But uh, pray for them, pray for them. It's an opportunity. We don't know. I didn't know Dorothy was going to die. She was 88. I thought, she's so strong. She's going to live, I don't know, a long, long time, you know, through the Holocaust. But uh, anyway, time came. But then you look back on it at that funeral and as I looked back, I thought to myself, I'm so glad that in the times that I was, in the, in the interim times when we weren't fighting with each other, that I brought her the gospel. And uh, so praise the Lord for that. So here's John. He's out there in the wilderness. This is their time. This is their time of visitation. This is their time of opportunity. And if you would have, and John knew it. And so if you would have said to John, John, why are you so worked up? I mean, you know, I might say, John, why are you so, I mean, you're out here in the wilderness with the camel's hair for the clothing and the eating the locusts, the honey, and the crying and the baptizing, and, you know, you could have a comfortable life in Jerusalem. What's driving you, John? What is it that's driving you to do all this? And you know, John, you can imagine that John would have maybe perhaps said, you know, there, it's the last two verses in the Bible. Of course, that would be the Old Testament. The last two verses in the Bible, because there wasn't a New Testament at that time, The last two verses in the Bible, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the last two verses. And and the last two verses that started the 400-year silence before John broke that silence was this. Behold, John 4, I mean Malachi 4, 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the, the earth with a curse. So, I mean, I can imagine John is saying, it's those words, what's driving me? It's those words that God announced to Israel. I will send you the prophet uh, Elijah. And, and John would have said, I'm that prophet, and I was sent. That's the issue. John filled with this sense that he was sent, that he was sent which is all important. No preacher can preach the word unless he feels and knows that he is sent. That's what it says in Romans 10.5. Romans 10.5. How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So he's sent, and this drives him, and his message is repent. And so when he says to the people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it shows to us that John has this special or certain relationship to the people. He has a relationship to the Lord. He says, I'm not able to untie his shoe latchets. He's preferred before me. That's his relationship to the Lord. Now he has a relationship to the people. And his relationship to the people is faithful. He's a faithful messenger. And the people are saying, oh, John, 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 John. And then he's responding and he's saying, no, no, no. In John 3.30, in John chapter 3, verse 30, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. 
So he knew that he was on the, on the high level as far as Israel was going. He knew that the Lord Jesus was, let's just say, unknown. And he said, my life work is to bring myself down and to bring the Lord Jesus up. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 